Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live via Giants.com. So glad you could join us and talk some Giants football. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Super Bowl champion Jeff Fegels. You can hit us up at hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter or directly at GiantsWFAN or at JFegels. Good morning, Jeff. Glad to have you aboard again. Woo, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is, they're all, they all tie together, don't they, Paul? But the fact of the matter is we're here, we're safe, we're healthy, and we're talking Giants football. Kind of running out of little things to, to talk about, but uh, we're getting close to some big things coming down the, the pike here, and I'm excited to be on, Paulie. Well, we've got another a couple of draft choices to review. We also have some news items we'd like uh, to touch on, as well as a slew of questions from Twitter and from the Giants' mailbag. So we've got a full hour in store for you folks. But let's continue reviewing the Giants' draft choices first up. And today we'll hear from Minnesota Gophers defensive coordinator Joe Rossi. Now, the Giants took two of his players in the seventh round of this year's draft, edge rusher Carter Coughlin, and safety Chris Williamson. Our own Lance Meadow asked Rossi about sending the two rookies off to the Giants. Oh, it's exciting. You know, you spend a lot of time with your players over the course of their careers, and you know they have aspirations to go on and play at the next level. So to, to get a chance to, to see it happen for them and, and, and talk to them and, and hear the excitement in their voices and, and uh, now get a chance to follow their career, it, it's, it's really awesome. When you look at both of these players, Coach, uh, obviously teams had them on their radar. I mean, they, they both get drafted. It's not like they had to wait until the draft was over to sign anywhere. So there must have been a number of teams that talked to you that, that asked you about these guys. What were the most common questions that were asked about both players as they try to make the leap to the pros? Well, I, I would think both guys um, have some versatility to their game. So the, the, the questions for both was, you know, what position do you think that they're best suited for? So you start with Chris. Uh, Chris, you know, came into college as a um, as a cornerback, and you know, we played him as the, the the nickel corner or the slot corner, whatever whatever you want to refer to him as. You know, he was our nickel back, um, and so there was some physicality to his game. He had to cover the slot. Um, you know, I think he has some flexibility to even slide back and play safety. Um, just because he is a little bit of a bigger guy and, and, is, and has shown that physicality to his game. And then with Carter, you know, Carter is one of those classic tweeners that they would be labeled in the NFL, uh, a guy who's not quite big enough to play a true DN, um, but is a bigger linebacker. But, you know, so it was it was that, hey, what is he? Well, you know, he's got tremendous pass rush ability. Um, he's played in the run game. He's dropped into coverage. So he's kind of played that hybrid role. Well, and speaking of Carter Coughlin, Coach, not only when you took over as the defensive coordinator did you work with him, but obviously you were his positional coach too. How do you get to a point where you determine, hey, we can move this player around a lot, he can handle it? What did you see in him that you knew that he'd be successful as that hybrid type of player? Well, you know, it, it kind of goes all the way back to when we first got here as a staff. We kind of look at the players, evaluate them. You know, he played as a true freshman, and you kind of see his skill set. And, um, you know, the first thing, there was a pass rush ability, and, and, and that's invaluable, you know, in today's football as someone who can rush the passer. So, you know, you saw that. It was the quick twitch. It was the get off. Um, and then you see, you know, some ability to play in space. Uh, and do some things in coverage and then you say okay well you know we can rush this guy we can drop this guy um and then i think the the last piece of it is the the mental aptitude um you know he's a really smart guy 
Um, you know, always did really well in school, had a high football IQ uh, where you said, hey, you can kind of put uh, more than one thing on this guy's plate. I've seen him, Coach, uh, tabbed as a film junkie. Could you give me an example of the kind of uh, football study he would do with tape or video that, that may have impressed his teammates and even the coaching staff? Yeah, I, I, you know, just getting in, you know, even on Sunday evening and early Monday, um, you know, during the day and just getting a jump start on, on who he's playing against, um, you know, just write-ups on strengths and weaknesses and, and then, you know, just stopping in as the staff. You know, he would always stop in, um, you know, while the staff was kind of game planning on Monday, getting ready for Tuesday's practice and kind of share his thoughts. And, and they were always, you know, spot on and uh you know it was always good to talk with him and it's always great when older guys are able to come in and and give input because it it shows that they're invested but it also shows uh that they kind of are able to think on a different level and carter coughlin noted that he loves film study and that he thinks that's going to be a very strong asset for his game at the next level and chris when he spoke to the media coach said actually the same thing and also pointed out, and I'm curious, your perspective, the fact that now they have to go through the remote learning, as you obviously are experiencing right now at Minnesota, that he thinks that that may give this young class a leg up because they're going to be so much well-prepared for the mental grind of the NFL level before they even start to tackle the physical side of things. Where do you stand on that, and how beneficial do you think that'll be for them? Well, you know, I, I do think, you know, we're, we're going through it, as you mentioned, ourselves. Um, and we have players who are in a similar situation. We had some early enrollees um, who, you know, came in January, should still be in high school. And you know, we only got a couple of spring practices in before, you know, everything was canceled. So, you know, we, we are kind of walking that same, same, same road. Um, the thing that I would say is you're getting way much, you're way more time uh, mental film study, you know, Zoom meeting. Um, so things that I found, you're able to explain things in a little bit more detail because you have more time to do it. Um, so I think that that's the, the, the one huge benefit of it. Now, the, obviously the one challenge is, hey, you know, now you aren't getting the opportunity to go out and do it physically. And I think it's it's each coaching staff challenge to, to find ways to engage the guys where they can simulate it as much as possible um, to being on the field, even though we can't do it right now. Coach, we all know a common trait when you're a seventh-round pick in the league is you're going to have to know special teams because that's always going to be your first ticket to getting snaps on game day. Um, How would you project both of these players in terms of their special teams' attitude and, of course, their ability to do it? Uh, Attitude-wise, you know, both guys um, have been, you know, guys that, Whatever role we've asked them to play, you know, they, they've always embraced it. Um, they've always done it, you know, with, hey, what do I need to do? Let's go ahead and do it. Let's do it full speed. Um, and over the course of their careers, we've moved both those guys around and uh, had a chance to see them. Now, later in their careers, they didn't play quite as much special teams as maybe they did earlier in their career. Just as naturally happens when you become the guy. Um, but they both were always willing and able. Uh, both guys, I think, run really well. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the number one thing you're, you're looking for when special teams happen out in space and in order to combat that space, you need guys that can run and both those guys can run. Uh, they're both athletic. So I think they're, they're definitely going to be willing. They're both uh, smart guys who can learn. And I think their speed's going to be, you know, a, a huge asset for them. We're talking with Minnesota defensive coordinator and linebackers coach under PJ Fleck, Joe Rossi, who coached both 
Carter Coughlin and Chris Williamson, who were seventh-round picks for the Giants. And, Coach, related to the subject of length, athleticism, versatility, when you look at Carter's numbers, certainly 22.5 career sacks jumps off the page, and I believe he had 9.5 one of those years that led your team in that department. You mentioned earlier most people referred to him as a tweener. How much did that uncertainty, you think, maybe impact his stock? Because it's not easy to get 22 and a half career sacks over the course of a collegiate career. So was it the uncertainty, you think, of his position that may have been why teams were a little bit on the edge about where his placement would be in the NFL? Yeah, I I think so. You know, anytime um, that you're projecting a player uh, to play a position where maybe you didn't see it exactly on film, there's always that little bit of unknown. And I think sometimes the unknown, you know, kind of in in a draft scenario sometimes pushes some guys down. But, you know, the thing about, you know, Carter is like he, he can run. You know, and like that's one of his attributes that you can never take away from him. And he has tremendous closing speed and he plays with a, a phenomenal motor. Um, so like there's always when, when you're building a defense, those are attributes that you can never have too many of. So, you know, it, whatever role, you know, he ends up getting asked to do he's going to be able to 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 take that those attributes and apply it and i think it'll give him a chance to be very successful and i think you know just being around him like he's one of those guys like you you appreciate how hard he plays on film and his ability on film but when you get a chance to be around him during practice and in meetings i think that makes him even more valuable because of how uh, much he studies and how hard he prepares Coach, when you talk about qualities that coaches like, certainly toughness and durability, two more very, very high on the list. I know you only had Williamson for two years, but but Coughlin, he he had his whole four-year career there. He stayed through his senior season, and from the looks of uh, the stat sheet, his playing time was certainly maxed out. Uh, That says to me, uh, this guy is going to have his nose to the grindstone and will work through whatever bumps and bruises he's got. Yeah, you know, he, Carter, he, he was a, a three-year starter. He had played his freshman year as well, too, a significant amount. So, um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't remember missing a game uh, in, in those three years. I, I'm fairly certain he didn't. So it, I think it's a testament to his durability and his toughness to play through some things, but then also just how he prepares and, and trains to keep his body, you know, at 100%. And, and with Chris, even though we only had him for two, you know, kind of when I took over at the end of the 2018 season as the defensive coordinator, we made the decision uh, that we were going to be a nickel team. So that moved Chris into the starting role. And, you know, and he played in all the games uh, from, from that point on too. So both those guys have kind of shown themselves to be reliable. Chris has an interesting background coach because he actually was a wide receiver in high school and then became a defensive back his senior year. I'm just curious, from you watching him and determining how you wanted to move him around in that versatility with corner and nickel, how much of that wide receiver skill set that he has in him from previous experience do you think transfers over to his play as a defensive back? Yeah, I, I think it, it shows up most with just ability to track the ball and play the ball. Um, you know, sometimes there, some defensive backs really struggle with that. And, you know, there, it's always the cliche that, you know, if you can't catch, you move over to defensive back. But, you know, at the highest levels, you want your defensive backs to be able to have ball skills as well. Um, and so, you know, I think that's where you see it with Chris. He, he was always good catching the football, um, was always able to make plays on the football. Um, and, you know, I think 
if you know, I'm not sure where you know the Giants are looking to play him. But I think even with that flexibility, if he ever did slide back to safety, um, you know, ball skills are critical there because they have to go up in high point and, and, and react off the quarterback, and that's something I think he does really well. I want to go back to Carter if I can, Coach, because in looking at his bio, I see a background that just bleeds football, whether it was his dad, his uncle, his grandfather. How much of that family and upbringing do you see in him in terms of a guy who has so much pride in his family's tradition and and wants to continue that? And, of course, now the fact that he's got a shot to go to the NFL, I can't even imagine how much they must be glowing right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, his family... Um, from his dad to his grandfather to cousins, you know, he had a long tradition at the University of Minnesota just playing football and, and playing at a high level. And, you know, the thing about Carter is, you know, his family is very important to him. His face very important to him. Um, and he had tremendous support from that family. Um, and, and and I think, we, at least with us, you know, it was more of a pride. It was more of a, you know, he came there with a mentality that, you know, he wanted to get Minnesota back into the national relevance, which he achieved, which is a testament to him and his leadership and the rest of the seniors in that class, Chris as well. Um, but it was one of those things where, even though he had that legacy in that football family, it was always a, a humble uh, mentality, a hungry mentality. Uh, so, yeah, I, we, we know that his family uh, is football through and through, and they're very proud of him. Coach, last one for me. Earlier we were talking about Carter Coughlin's versatility and how you moved him around. And when he spoke to the media, one of the things he also mentioned was from time to time you dropped him back in coverage. What do you think of his ability to drop back in coverage at the NFL level? And, you know, what's important if they are going to ask him to do that from time to time? Yeah, he he did do that a good amount for us. I think he kind of finished his career with, like, four or five pass breakups and you know at times he would have to man a running back out of the backfield he he played man we were very comfortable with him playing man on tight ends we'd buzz him to the flat and drop him in the curl and um so he he did it well um you know and so i think that again that adds to the versatility he's been back there he's done it um you know there was even there was even some games uh, we were playing an option team where we kind of ran him down the middle of the field in, in a deep zone scenario. So he's he's done it. You know, I think the experience of doing it uh, makes it much easier. You know, sometimes guys are, are defensive ends who've never done it, and then they get asked to do it, and it's a completely different world for them. Um, so I think that you know, for for teams that are going to have guys that have the dual rule of rushing and dropping uh just having experience is going to make them that much better so he's done it like i said man tight ends and man running backs as well final question for me coach and it's on carter in terms of his pass rush skills i don't know where his power quotient ranked against the opponents that he was taking on uh, while he was with your program but as he makes the jump to the nfl they'll obviously want to make him stronger but do you think that it's going to be the uh, technique adjustment or the power adjustment that he's going to really have to work on as he comes to the Giants? Well, I think it's always um, an element of both. You know, the one thing I would say is he is sneaky strong. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, he's not a huge physically imposing guy. You know, he is for normal America, but not necessarily for the for the NFL. Uh, but his strength numbers were always very good for us. Squat, bench, clean. He was very explosive. And I think his speed and, and change of direction, that kind of translate those movements. Um, but I think anytime your game, when you go to the next level, there's an element of that. 
but it's more of just adjusting to the speed of the game and just changing and, and developing and, and morphing your techniques and fundamentals based on what you're seeing. You're obviously going to see more athletic offensive tackles. You're going to see guys with better feet. So now your technique needs to get refined and even uh, taken to the next level so that you can continue to have success. The one thing I, that I always felt with us, if you go back through Carter's career, especially the last two years, he always played best in our biggest games. You know, whether it was the Penn States, the Ohio States, um, the Wisconsin's, he always played best in those big games. And, uh, you know, anytime you, you have a player, that's what you want to see. You want to see him play their best against your best opponents, and he always did that for us. That's Minnesota Gophers defensive coordinator Joe Rossi. We thank him for his time and his input. And it certainly sounds like he's very enthusiastic about these rookies' chances of making the team, Jeff. Well, yeah, he talks very highly of both of them, and I think there's a reason why they're on the Giants because I think they're good. They're good players. They're smart players. They're versatile. Um, You got a tweener player in there. You got a guy that can play nickel corner and some safety because of his size. Um, just the type of football players that Joe Judge wants on his team. Now, listen, they're seventh-round draft picks, so they're going to have an uphill battle. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is just come in and compete. That's what Joe Judge and his staff wants these guys to do, Paul. And listen, if you don't make the regular roster, there's always a chance that you could be on that practice squad um, and move up and down from it. There's some new rules according to the, the new CBA. Um, so, yeah, I think that these are the guys that – Fit the mold, if you will, for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge in their draft picks. Well, if you look back, the Giants have really, over the course of time, had some luck with with some of their late picks. Although in recent years, not as much. The last seventh-round pick for the Giants to really make a big impact probably would have to be Matt Dodge, who had a, a, a season in 2010 as a punter out of East Carolina. Uh, although we all remember him for the Deshaun Jackson kick. We also know that for most of that season, he boomed a lot of bombs. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, give him credit for having a very strong leg. We could talk all about the fact that uh, he was undisciplined and and maybe, you know, didn't always listen to what the coaches told him to do. But There you go. (laughs) But, But he did have a leg. And, 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 and was accomplished for that one season, uh, and then subsequently uh, that, that was it for his NFL and Giants career. And then before that, Ahmad Bradshaw back in 2007. Uh, of course, we all know what kind of a career Bradshaw had with the Giants, including uh, runs at two Super Bowl rings. Yeah, I think the bigger of the two would be Bradshaw. Because, no doubt. But obviously, and um, you know, Matt Dodge was a guy that came in after I had retired, um, and from the get-go, uh, Quinny and I were trying to make him better because he had some flaws in his techniques and fundamentals, but he had the strongest leg I've ever seen out of a punter. I mean, literally. He really did. He really did. And I think that um, his mind just wasn't there. He just didn't – I don't think he really wanted to play in the NFL. He got drafted and was kind of forced to come in and do it. But, you know, his um, – his focus was really on bodybuilding and he wanted to open up a gym and he wanted to be a bodybuilder. And my God, he was, you know, one of those, it's funny how right after him it was Weatherford. So they're both bodybuilder guys. I don't know what happened to me, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that, Jeff. I didn't want to have to go there. Well, I'll tell you what. So I, I really, and I know this because um, that season I, I was uh, working with the giants and, and doing some coaching at that position. And, and, uh, I just would marvel at the way he would hit the football, but there was just his, you know, there were days he would come to the meetings without his notebook 
And I would say to him, you know, how many times we got to tell you to bring your notebook? Do you know how invaluable this is? And I'm giving you notes and stuff on punting somebody that's done it for two decades. I mean, seriously. So mm -hmm. um, his mind just wasn't in it. But Bradshaw, wow, look at him. And you, you and I agree that he's probably one of the toughest guys we've ever seen. Pound for um, pound, he really and, was. I mean, goodness, and and just what a great seventh round pick you could find. So hopefully, maybe do we get. One or two of these guys in the seventh round, maybe the sixth round, a Cam Brown maybe turns into a guy like that. But certainly from what we hold, we heard from Coach Rossi and Coughlin and Williamson, uh, they have a big upside, and we can't wait to really see them. And, you know, what really struck me in that conversation, Paul, was the fact that, and it's ironic because, you know, my son playing at Rutgers is going through all this right now. Um, all these Zoom meetings, and um, and he said that the, the coaches have to come up with a create, be very creative, how to to do things with these guys to keep them the attention span there because you know you just can't have meetings and talk all day on Zoom. Um, there's no there's no activity, so a lot of these guys are doing these things and they are used to it. Uh, these ro young rookies that have had to try to do these things remotely, um, it's going to be interesting. So. And the, the thing I liked about it, and I'm rambling on here a little bit, but I think it's important, is that I know that for me it didn't really matter this much. But I know for young players, when they're learning a new position, whether it's the position they played or they, you know, that versatility comes in where they're going to have these guys playing multiple positions in a new system, there isn't a lot of classroom time because of the rules, right? And he mentioned that now these guys get a little – the coaches get a little bit more time – to spend on certain things that they wouldn't have normally. And I think for the young generation, the guys now learning the new pro way, this is really good for them. Well, these seventh-round picks are, are going to have at least a, a decent odds chance of doing something because the Giants, for the first time in their entire franchise's history, actually had four seven-round picks. Uh, Seventh-rounders, that would be T.J. Brunson, the linebacker out of South Carolina, and linebacker Tay Crowder out of Georgia to add to the mix. So the mm -hmm. odds of a seventh-rounder making this roster, I guess what I'm trying to say, have improved dramatically since they had four of them. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they never had yeah. four seventh-round picks before. And not only have they not had four seventh-round draft picks before, they probably, they've probably they never had three linebackers picked in the seventh round. That's either. for sure. <laughs> you know, you get the one cornerback in there and Chris Williamson but um yeah so exciting to see about the how these guys are going to come in and compete and you also mentioned uh the fact that special teams and and this is not just these guys this is most of the draft picks and even some of the free agents that are getting signed by the giants and we all know that um when you get in, an invitation to go to the combine and you get drafted and you get signed you've got some ability to play in the national football league and not everybody has that ability so most of the time where these guys are coming from, their schools, Paul, they then the last second half of their careers at their school respectively that they're at didn't have to play a lot of special teams. They've got they've got some experience with it, but now you know that that coin's going to get flipped. They're going to have to start all over again like a young uh, freshman, mm -hmm. a sophomore if you will and come in and and really show this team how they can perform on special teams and you know, I, I can't tell you how many times it's in, it, it is it is just it's gone over and over with these young guys. And we talk about it in our shows. We talk about it in our pregame shows about how this guy's going to have to show how good he is on special teams, special teams. Well, yeah, guys, I know none of them are listening to this show right now. But will if there's just one person that can get in touch with these guys and tell them, study your special teams, study it. 
you're going to have to do it because you're not going to be starting Carter Coughlin at outside linebacker for the Giants this year, most likely. So you're going to play special teams. Well, to simplify it, it's kind of like that old kids' games, shoots and ladders. Yeah. You know, you come out of a big college program, and then all of a sudden you move one space and you go down the chute, and now you're into the special teams bin of the NFL ranks. That's right. And you got to <laughs> climb your way out of there in a good way, right? In a good sure. way. Sure. You've got to buy your time. Um, and, and listen, it's not a demotion by any chance. In fact, it's a promotion because you've made the team. Yes. And so that's the hardest part for these guys to understand. But if they would just listen to what people are telling them and excel at special teams, you're going to get 30 or 40 plays a game, which is probably going to be more plays if you were just sitting there as a second or third team backup. You know, and that's not going to happen here. You, if you're a, if you're a guy that's that fifth receiver or that sixth or seventh linebacker, you are going to be playing special teams, and you've got to learn it. And then as soon as you start learning special teams and learning your position, as you grow and mature into an NFL football player, the game will become easier for you. But it's not easy when these guys get here because of the speed, the complexity of things, and the and exactly how things are run at this level. They're just not used to it. Now, some of these guys might be used to the way like the Sabins of the world, you know, and the guys coming from Ohio State and big, big programs. Mm -hmm. But it's still different. You know, Paul, the pro and the, and the college are completely different games these days. No doubt. Well, speaking of young guys, there is oh, a young guy you. I would like to talk about, and it's not you, Jeff. <laughs> no, it would be Daniel Jones, the Giants' second-year yeah. quarterback yeah, and former first-round draft mm -hmm. pick. Uh Daniel, Daniel, getting a, a, a vote of confidence and, uh, and a piece of uh, optimistic uh, a viewpoint coming in from Eli Manning, who yesterday told Sirius XM NFL Radio, "I think it'll be easier for him uh, this year to kind of step up as the leader. Last year was probably awkward for him, me being there, me yeah. being in meeting rooms, and just kind of the whole dynamic, me being gone. And hey, he is the quarterback. He is the guy for him to have that control and the authority over receivers and offensive line. That quote coming from Eli Manning, who really sees good things ahead for uh, the young Jones. Well, I think he couldn't have said it better. I mean, he understands what was happening last year, the pressure on him, right? I mean, um, God, I, I feel like, you know, when you're a young guy coming into a meeting room um, with a veteran like Eli Manning, a future Hall of Famer, you, you probably just sit in the corner and put your thumb in your mouth and don't say a word, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to do. And even when he got the starting position, he still has to look over his shoulder. Well, I think that's going to help him, and I agree with Eli. I also believe that um, – I don't think he lacks the confidence that anybody might think that he doesn't have. Um, he's going to come in there confident, and he's going to come in there working, and he's going to be that guy just like Eli Manning that's in the building first and leaves last. I promise you he's going to be that type of player. We have another news item I'd like to get your take on, Jeff. NFL.com's Mark Sessler has a burning question for each NFL team. Hmm. For the Giants, he wants to know, can Joe Judge save the G-men? He goes on to say some of these NFC inquiries focus on a specific player, a position battle, or quarterback conundrum. The Giants have plenty of those questions, too. At least he thinks so. But he says his curiosity hinges around New York's first-time head coach. Who is Joe Judge? <laughs> He's a special teams coach from New England. <laughs> That's who he is, which means that nobody really knows or cares about him, right? Until now, he's the head coach of the New York Giants. And uh, can he save? I hate you know the word save, 
Um, can he rebuild would be the word for me. Can he rebuild this organization um, and this team back to respectability? I think that, you know, I don't feel like in the – I don't know how many years I want to go back that anybody feared this team um, like they used to. And I think that he has to restore that. Um, and I think that there's a culture and a way of doing things that he's going to be able to bring to the table um, that will get people to recognize that this is a new team, new Joe Judge formed the way of doing things. I, and I, I believe, and we won't find this out until we start seeing games, but I, I have a feeling that this, this team will be very well prepared every week and that they're not going to lose games because of that. And the fact is, is that they're going to be really good. I mean, really good on special teams because I've said this before, Paul, and I think you might agree with me that when we talk about those three components of the game, special teams, offense, and defense, the one time you can, if you can win two of the three of those components, you've got a really good chance of winning some games. Sure. And I feel like Joe Judge at this juncture and this team that where they are, and I don't want to use the word rebuilding, but more retooling of things and kind of getting this thing going again, that if they can definitely have a, have a chance to win the special teams battle every single week. And now remember, the Giants have had good special teams under Terrence McGahee and, and uh, Tom Quinn mm-hmm. the last few years. Well, now Joe Judge is even going to bring more to that. They can win that every week and then win one of the two offensively and defensively, they got a better chance of winning some games when you wouldn't think that they would. That's just my whole theory. I think things will start to change, and I think part of these seventh-round draft picks and even the sixth-round guys are guys that they can plug and play into special teams with athleticism and versatility, linebackers, edge rushers. What are those guys? They're all athletic and can tackle. That's, those are great special teams players. That's what's that's my take. Okay, now off to the side from the shelf of ridiculous, you have Barry <laughs> Werner of USA Today who predicts the Giants to go four and twelve this season. Now, before you say anything, Jeff, let me just throw my two cents into this one because I always laugh at people who come up with predictions about team records before teams even get to camp you have no idea what their roster was going to look like when you're in april or may and that's even under usual circumstances given what we're going through now this year in these very unique circumstances look i get it they got to fill up some some ink they got to fill up newsprint but for anybody to come up with any rationale to give you a prediction as to what a team's going to be, or for that matter, these fantasy people who want to predict fantasy stats for people and players, it's it's preposterous given what little we know about the circumstances surrounding these teams. Can we at least get them to finalize their rosters whenever that's going to be? How about at least we get a schedule first, which is going to bring me to my next point before we start predicting teams' one-loss records. Yeah, well, before you get to the schedule, let me ask you this. Um, what's the best way to get to the playoffs is win your division. So right. I'm, I'm going to try to concentrate – my division, all right? That's it. I don't have to worry about 31 other teams. I'm just going to worry about those three other teams that I have to deal with, right? Well, guess what? Of the four teams in the NFC East, three of them have new coaching staffs. So that they're in the same boat as the New York Giants, right? So you can look at personnel. I, I, I agree with, you know, that you got to look at teams and say, well, this team's better on paper. This, but, hey, if I'm Joe Judge, I'm just looking at my conference. I mean, I'm at my division. 
I'm looking at my division and how I'm going to try to win my division or at least maybe get up there and, and, and compete so maybe you get a wild card somewhere in there. But, I mean, four wins, uh, I, I agree with you. Let's, can we get a schedule just to see who we're playing? I will, I will say this. I know I, who we're playing, but when, yeah. you know? I do think that if you look at the NFC East and you just say what, what talent appears to be on their roster this year, because obviously teams are at 90 right now and they've got to get down to 55 plus the practice squad guys. I think you could say safely right now the most talent in the division belongs to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think it's pretty safe to say that. But that's about the only place that I'm willing to go. And I know they have a head coach who's accomplished, who's done a lot of really good things. He's creative. He's won a Super Bowl. I give him all the plaudits. I think the Eagles are probably going to be the team to beat in the division. Beyond that, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I cannot for the life of me, really pin down exactly what the other three teams are going to bring to the table, especially when you consider the other three teams have coaching changes, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I am not, and let me repeat this, I am not a big Mike McCarthy guy. I think more of his teams in Green Bay underachieved than of any contending teams over the course of the last decade. So let's not pencil Dallas in for a playoff spot just yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not to mention, they still got to figure out if Dak Prescott's going to be taking snaps in week number one. Well, I think he will. But the other thing, too, you look at those coaches you mentioned, all of them have Super Bowl experience. And so does Joe Judge. And maybe not as a head coach, but he's been to plenty. That is true. And so I think that all comes into focus and how you build your coaching staff and how you run your organization. I think so. When you look at the NFC East, it's a pretty impressive coaching staff mm-hmm. um, as a whole. But. Yeah, I mean, let, hey, let's just get this thing one at a time. Get the schedule out, see who we're going to play first. It's going to be Dallas, as usual. <laughs> you know. Well, I let's mean, speak about that, Jeff. Yeah. The, the schedule is coming out on Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time on NFL Network, the NFL app, and NFL.com. Now, I do want to add this before we even get to the schedule. Uh, kudos to the National Football League and, and all of the people involved in putting together the draft-a-thon. The league has announced that they eclipsed $100 million in contributions to COVID relief efforts because of money that they were able to take in from folks during the draft. And I, I can't salute them enough for, for what they were able to accomplish. Uh, fans, by the way, can visit NFL.com slash relief if they want to support the six nonprofit organizations uh, that the NFL has tabbed to help those in need. Uh, but further on, as far as the schedule is concerned, The league has also said, Jeff, this news coming out yesterday, it's five scheduled international games, four in London and one in Mexico City will instead be played stateside due to the pandemic. So that means the Cardinals, Falcons, Jaguars, and Dolphins, who were all supposed to have home games outside of the border, are going to have true home games again. Remember, Jacksonville was supposed to get two games over in London. Yeah, I think for the fans uh, that were losing those home games, I think it's exciting for them. Um, unfortunately, you know, the fans across the, the pond don't, aren't going to get them. But you know what? Hey, listen, um, this thing is so unprecedented what we're going through right now. I think you just want to hold tight and keep everybody here for safe being. And also, people that have to understand, too, I know the NFL has made, uh, I don't know if they've formally announced something like this, but we've heard that the schedule that they're putting together is very flexible so that if something does ha- come up where the, ha- the schedule has to be, the, everything has to be moved back a little bit, that, you know, it's going to be able to, to work itself out. And I think that's part of the plan. 
You know, because if you are, you, you kind of bring in, if you just stay in your own little country, you just, it's easier to work on things, right? So if we have to have games outside the country, it just brings more logistics into the whole thing if things have to get moved. All right, Jeff, let's head to uh, Twitter because we've got a bunch of tweets and a bunch of mailbag items. You know, the fans continue to uh, pepper us, and we're very glad to have those fans. Believe me, uh, the listeners are are exactly why we're doing these programs. Christopher Kane says, uh, another great thing about Ohio statewide receivers, I guess he's responding to somebody, is the that the corners they went up against in practice are high quality. Most are NFL caliber and some future stars. I have to think somebody like Benjamin Victor makes the team in clips he looks to say, dare I say it, Plexico-like. Well, <laughs> Benjamin Victor is a six foot four wide receiver who, by the way, if you watch him on video, Jeff, he may have the thinnest waistline of any football player who has ever put on the pads. <laughs> I, I, probably some offensive linemen have bigger thighs than he does waist, right? I'm uh, telling you. They list him officially, just so you know. They're listing him officially at uh, six four and 200 pounds. That's got to be soaking wet. Yeah, that's that's uh, spelt, as we would say. Austin Mack is another guy there that you come you know, under, from Ohio State. Well, you've compete. heard me talk about Mack a lot. He mm-hmm. He's my favorite of yeah. the undrafted free agent class to make the team. But he makes a good point, and, and, un, and not only just the receivers, you flip side of the cornerbacks or anybody that's in those in the in those conferences are up against very good competition, and and it shows on draft day, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, the knock on a lot of these guys that don't play big time schools is that you know they're not in a in big time schools, so that's kind of sometimes why they drop down a little bit if you see some of these guys from other conferences, but. He makes a good point, and that, that goes with all positions, by the way. Remember, folks, you can always hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. He is at Jay Fiegels. I am at Giants WFAN. We go back to the Twitter, and we find out that at Eli Manning, HOF, Hall of Fame, in case <laughs> you didn't know that abbreviation, has a couple back-to-back for us, and I guess I can read them both. Uh, the draft was fun, but until the league comes up with a viable plan to run a season, all this player talk is just a new form of fantasy football. It's all bark and no bite. <laughs> well, look, I understand what he's saying because until the medical folks and the government officials are able to weed through all of the procedures that are going to make things safe, the league is not going to proceed and put players on the field. Nope, and that means we continue to just talk, 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 right? Um Listen, there's stuff going on beyond what we're doing, folks. Um, you know, the players, they have rookie camps going on uh, virtually, um, learning, and things are happening. You know, so that's all we can that's all we can go for yeah. right now. It really is. Uh, the second tweet from the same person says, the sports media business is dependent on sports being played. With no sports being played, it has become more like the Sports History Channel. <laughs> that's right and that's why that's why the nfl draft this year was such a hit because it was a live event right Mm -hmm. i think the next thing we got coming up live and you're not going to care about this is we have some golf matches coming up where um, some players are teaming up with no fans uh, nobody on the course just you know and the golf course is a good place to social distance so they're going to be coming up with some of these competitions where there's just two or four players that's the only thing i can think of right now and then uh, until then, you're right. It is a it's a sports history channel is all this stuff. is. That's good. All right. We go to at Jorge Alisea 621. 
says, uh, watch the NFL give the Giants versus Browns a week one game with the return of Odell Beckham in prime time. Would prefer the Redskins because if we slap them again, we can put their fan base and their talking uh, and all of their stuff this offseason back in their place. LOL. I don't know. Well, I, I don't. I don't really. I, I could care less about both those matchups. I mean, if, if there's any one team I may want to play, it would be the Redskins, uh, just because it's a division right away. Um, but, you know, who cares about the Cleveland Brown? Who cares about Odell Beckham? Who cares about any of that? Jeff, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the hype involving the Browns' visit to MetLife Stadium is going to be off the charts. Mm. And you know that one of the networks is getting that game in prime time. That's, okay. that's a lock. Well, then you know what? I, I, I didn't look at it that way. Um, I guess I just feel like maybe that, that he's got a point. Maybe that, you know, to kick off the season and, you know, everybody's waited so long for this. And, man, oh, man, what a ticket that'll be. I know you and I will be there if that well, happens. Well, I, I will say this. You know, there's been much discussion about not having fans in the stands at the beginning of the season and maybe potentially having some fans in the stands later on in the year. Well, Talk about deflating the balloon. Mm-hmm. Beckham comes back into MetLife Stadium to face the Giants, and the building is empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That certainly uh, takes a lot of fizz out of that soda pop. You know, you asked me this question, uh, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about playing in a stadium with no fans, and I told you that I've, we've done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not in, a, not in a game thing, but a scrimmage where there's you know, 5,000 people but even at 5,000 people, it's quiet, and it's just weird. Um, but I will tell you that players will do what they got to do. Organizations are going to do what they got to do. Um, as long as it's going to get televised and that the networks could somehow maybe pump in crowd music in the background of the game, you know what I'm saying? There's got to be a way to make it so that the, the people can watch and enjoy the game. Because people, remember this, Paul, they talk about this all the time when people don't want to shell out those personal seat licenses, when they don't want to pay the prices of the tickets. A lot of them say, I would rather go to Costco and buy myself an $800 big screen TV and watch the Sunday ticket or in the NFL uh, red zone on my own couch. Well, they were going to have a lot of people may have a chance to do that, and they'll, they'll be fine with it. But there are the fans that, you know, love the tailgating. They love the smell of charcoal and all the hamburgers and hot dogs. That's a part of life. It's the fabric of America, right? That's not going to happen. And you know, we're not saying it is or it isn't. But if that does happen where you're not going to be able to do that, there'll be a lot of people that will be like, okay, as long as the games are real and, uh, you know, there's a lot of fantasy football that can still be played, there's going to be ways around it. All right. We go back to Twitter, and we have G-Men Gridiron. Nice. Says uh, Albert Greer, the very well-respected NFL reporter, um, has something on Xavier McKinney. He says, I got an Earl Thomas comp out of one of the NFL's most respected evaluators Mm. and not a lot of disagreement when I ran that by a couple of other veteran evaluators. Mm. Well, we've heard we've heard that. um, Well, I can tell you that. the Redskins GM, um, um, hello. former Redskins GM, yeah. Charlie Casserly, Casserly, who Remember? insisted that he had 12 teams yeah. uh, pegging him for a first-round pick. That's right, and he said the steal of the draft. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise you. Um, and luckily, 
he's going to be wearing a, G, a Giants uniform this year. So that's a good thing, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. But a lot of upside to him, a lot of upside to him. And, you know, there's many reasons why people say he draft, You know, he dropped down in the draft, but the fact of the matter is, is the Giants were able to, to get him because they had that fourth pick, which was good. All right, Jeff Pilgrim 11 says, uh, who should start at left tackle, Thomas or Solder? Who's on the bubble in the secondary? Who's playing center? And what about the pass rush? All right, so why don't we take this uh, one at a time. Stay on the defense. We'll go All right. defense first. All right, go defense first. So who's on the bubble in the secondary, and where's the pass rush? All right, you had, what about the secondary? You, well, who do you think about the, who's on the bubble? I mean, we're already talking about the bubble. Hmm? Okay. Well, I think what you have to keep in mind is we don't know exactly how Patrick Graham is going to configure his defense and how many defensive backs he believes he needs for the scheme that he's going to run. Hmm. So that that in itself is a question that has to be answered. Yeah. The other question that has to be answered is how many of these linebackers now that they've acquired either through the draft or free agency are all going to stick? You have to believe they brought all these people in because much like all these corners they brought in, they want them here. The difference being that the linebackers they brought in over the last three months have been brought in by this staff. The Giants have a bunch of holdover corners like Haley, like Beal, like Ballantyne, who are from the older staff that is no longer here. Does that put them a step behind in terms of competition? Now, Joe Judge says everything is even. It's a clean slate, and I believe him. But you must understand that this new coaching staff, in conjunction with this personnel department, did bring in guys they brought in for a reason. They didn't blindly take these guys off of some supermarket shelf. They saw guys who they wanted. They saw redeeming value and character of these guys and said, hey, we want to bring them in. At the very least, those new guys are going to be given every opportunity to compete. They're not going to have any negatives or any handicaps on their resume as they walk into this place. Yeah, which I, I got to believe that probably Beal would be one of the guys I feel like it would be on the on the bubble there. Well, we better stay healthy. I'll tell you that. Well, that's that's what you I'm, know that's where I'm going. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's I can't come up with something right away because of the what you just said about Patrick Graham and his defense. Um, I'm guessing they're going to be a three four, um, and if that's the case, uh, you're going to need a lot of linebackers. And it's also when you look on paper what these linebackers bring. They bring speed, versatility, they can cover, um, and they can also rush the passer. So I don't know. Talking about where the pass rush is going to come from, there you go. I'm hoping, I've said this before, I'm hoping that we can get some pass rush up the middle, mm-hmm. okay, because you got some good players in there, and maybe maybe uh, Patrick Graham mixes it up a little bit with the alignment of those guys too. Um, obviously they have a plan because they didn't really go out in free agency and break the bank, at least not yet, or I have no idea if they have some other plans, but right now it is what it is. Jeff, I'm going to go right to the heart of what you talk about all the time, and I'm going to add one other comment to this. The mixture of guys, especially on defense in that back seven, that may very well be determined not even by Patrick Graham's scheme and his desires to put certain place, pieces in certain sure. places. It could wind up being determined by what Joe Judge wants on special teams. If Joe Judge says to Patrick Graham, 
I'm not going to give you those extra two defensive backs because I need these other two linebackers for special teams mm-hmm. because we're going to have the most dominant special teams unit in the National Football League. Yeah. And that means I need those two linebackers. I'm sorry, you can't have those back-end-of-the-depth-chart defensive backs. Well, guess what? Then the linebackers get to stay. Yeah, you know, when we talk about divvying it up, the players, some, one side of the ball could have more than the other. Obviously, right? One's going to get 23, one's going to get 22. Some, one might get 21, one might get 24. you got 55 men on the roster this year. Well, so, you, can up the, you can up the numbers a little bit, Jeff, because those numbers don't add up. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> 23 and 24 right. gives yeah. you 47. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, of yeah. course, of course, on game day, you're only going to be allowed to dress, you know, certain numbers of guys. You could have 30 and 25. There you go. There now you that go. Adds up. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, the point stands that Joe Judge has clearly prioritized and understandably so special teams. And I think it's going to be more evident than ever this year. We always talk about how special teams is important for the guys on the depth chart at linebacker, at wide receiver, and in the defensive backfield. Well, if you thought it was important before, it's going to be mega important now. And I think that's going to have a significant impact on the numbers that he keeps at each position. It has to. It has to. And uh, until we understand a little bit more about scheme and how things are going to happen, it's hard to answer that question. All right. So uh, Jeff Pilgrim also wanted to know who should start at left tackle, Solder or Thomas. I think Solder gets the job coming out of uh, camp or preseason or whatever it is that they're going to do. Week one, I think Solder's the guy as long as he's healthy. And how long he holds off Thomas remains to be seen. If Nate Solder struggles or if physically he winds up getting dinged up again, at some point Thomas may take that job sooner rather than later. I don't think that's that's beyond comprehension because the Giants also have Cam Fleming who can you know, effectively, I believe they think he's probably more of a right tackle than he is a left tackle. So if they're forced to take Solder out of the lineup, I think Thomas might go to the left and Fleming might go to the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about it before. There's going to be such a competition for those first for those two spots amongst three or four guys. Throw Matt Purton there too. Yep. Although I still think they're going to redshirt him for a yeah, season. Okay, but he, I'm just saying, you know, he—you never know. We can't discount the fact that if he comes in and competes and does well, we want to think that maybe he can. But, you know, obviously he's got this uh, developmental tackle uh, name. Maturing tackle, Jeff. I thought we agreed on that one. You wanted a different name, and I gave it to you. All right. I couldn't remember the maturing tackle, but that's, you know what I'm saying. These guys have to compete for these positions. So, and who's going to play center? Uh, I I think that eventually, um, I think it might be, you know, one of the veterans that are here to start. And, you know, maybe Shane Lemieux comes in and, um, and fills that role, I don't know. But there's competition. This We've got to see it. And this is why if, when the Giants get the training camp, it's going to be so much fun to watch a lot of these position battles because across the roster, you've got so many of them. Look at that safety position. Look at the cornerback, the linebackers, the defensive line. Eh, we kind of know what's theirs. But then you flip it over to the offensive side. Who's going to be a play center? Who's going to play left guard? I mean, left tackle, right tackle. There's a lot of stuff. Who's going to be the backup running back this year? There's so many questions that we want to answer, but we can't get them until they put those pads on. All right, let's go back to Twitter. we got a few more here. James says, Paul keeps talking about the need for receivers. 
Does 6'7 tight end receiver Ryson John out of Canada have a chance to stick with the G-man? And then he also wants to know, how about using 6'7 Matt Pert as a tackle eligible down near the goal line going with a jumbo attack? Well, number one, uh, Ryson John right now is an unknown product out of Canada. And, you know, I'm curious to see him. I'd like to know what he can do against NFL competition. So, by all means, my eyes will be wide open in taking a look at him uh, when he gets here. I do believe that Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack from Ohio State have more accomplished amateur resumes than John does. So you'd have to give them a leg up on him. And I am a big Austin Mack fan. I like his length. I like the way he attacks the ball. I like his physicality and his toughness. Uh, I I really give him a solid chance to, to make the team. Uh, so we will see. As for per, uh, Parrot, Matt Parrot, I keep uh, getting that name wrong sometimes. Matt Parrot, uh, hey, absolutely. I, I, I would not have a problem. You, Jeff, you've been, you've been around me long enough to know. I'm all for going with a jumbo formation and short yardage, and certainly down near the goal line. Uh, I am not shy about adding extra beef at all. Uh, the heck with going four wides, you know, empty set, one back, spread, trying to get fancy. No, 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 no. When you need that one yard or you need to get to that goal line, just smash mouth the ball across, okay? Come on. <laughs> just, just get the beef in there and pound it. Well, you're going to get it. I mean, you look at the size of some of these offensive linemen. I mean, they're all over 300 pounds. So, I mean, oh my God. I mean, yeah, you want to do it. And uh, and and Pert, Pert, whatever, six seven. Yeah, throw him the football. See how athletic he is. Who knows? All right. Bob Dorgan says, "Hi guys, I'm the person that figured out how to trade down and then trade back up to give up that to get that higher pick in the third round for Jeff." Mm-hmm. Pick six, thirty-one, and seventy-one. Yeah. Well, it didn't happen. Nope. Sorry, Bob. Uh, he says, "I think Dallas listens to your podcast, and the Giants don't." Yeah. Well, they got a nigh. They got two guys. And and, and <laughs> <laughs> this is a great, great tweet. Yeah, say, it is because you know what? <laughs> you were you were so mad, Paul, when this happened. <laughs> I, I I know. Well, you know why? Here, here's the thing. Well, anyway, he goes on. He talks about uh, the Wisconsin center as well, saying you guys went one for ten in projecting the Giants' picks. Thomas being the only one. Well, here's where I would correct you, Bob. We were not projecting Giants' picks or predicting who they were taking, other than the first rounder. Right. Uh, we we I I predicted Andrew Thomas. Obviously, I, I went that far to predict it. The rest of the rounds, as we were doing the shows, and Jeff was was with us uh, live on Saturday, we were talking about guys who we would like to see, okay, guys who intrigued us, who we would like to see. We were not predicting who the Giants were going to pick. There's a big difference between predicting who they're going to pick and who we might like to see. Mm-hmm. So yeah. please understand that. Yeah, you guys didn't put a mock if you will, for every position. No, we don't. We don't do that. You know, although although I do know this, uh, if you would followed our Twitter lines, it was quite clear that uh, that second picket number thirty six. It was quite clear that Xavier McKinney well, was one of the two options. I think we all believe that we did because we were on that on that Thursday night. We did a recap. And, and we, we talked said, about him. And we said, okay, who's available, the best available players? And we, we said McKinney was the best available player no on the board. Question. We That's said right. that. Yep. 
Although I will tell you this, I think we hit it pretty good as far as positional value. You're right. I'm glad you said that because, Bob, we should tell you that I insist that they would take two tackles in the first four rounds, and I think you were on board with me, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I and I wanted a safety. The only thing I didn't get uh, – well, let me just well you may it. have gotten no. your center because Lemieux may well, be that guy. I was just going to clarify that. I mean, it says here that he's a guard, but we know that he's been working at center, and maybe the intent of them is he's going to play center. So then maybe, it, you know, that I did get my guy. I, did, I got him in the fifth round. I would have liked to get him a little <laughs> bit higher. <laughs> All right. We've got one more before we sign off for the day. Uh, this comes from Sandy. Again, hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. I am at Giants WFAN. He is at Jay Fiegels. You could also go to uh, Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. Uh, that is the uh, mailbag uh um, I guess the mailbox mailbag uh, where you can also get stuff uh, through the Giants website. So Sandy wants to know, now that the draft is over, the Giants have their preliminary 90 players, what is the plan to be ready for the season? Why can't all the players, coaches, and employees get tested to see if they've had the Coronavirus virus and or see if they have immunity to the same disease? Uh, the more we clear now, the more we can practice together and be ready for the NFL season. Has the NFL come out with any plans or guidelines for 2020? Well, let me just say, we've told you already, the league is going to release its schedule on Thursday. It is subject to change. It is tentative. And as far as we're concerned, everything is fluid. Now, in terms of testing, I think Jeff and I have already discussed this on previous shows. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that until some form of testing is in place league-wide, none of these players are going to get on the field anywhere. Yeah, I mean, and plus, remember, every state is different as far as the uh, qualifications of opening businesses. And that's an issue. So, you know, in this area, um, slowly but surely it'll happen. But, you know, maybe Arizona or, um, you know, somewhere else, they're able to do things, and it just isn't going to be fair to everyone else if their players are able to come into the facility and work out because locally and, 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 you know, the government has said, yes, you can. So there's got to, got to be a, a league-wide mandate saying that until every one of them can open up, none of them can open up. And I understand that. The, well, it has the, to be. You know, the, the league wants to be as fair as they possibly can. Yeah. And it's not, it's not fair if I'm a player with the New York Giants and I'm not allowed to get into my facility and start working out or I'm not even allowed to get into a facility, period, and work out, you know, at a sports club somewhere, but the state's two, two doors down for me. They're allowed to be in there working out and doing their strength, strength and conditioning and their speed works and all this stuff. Uh-uh. That's not going to be that fair. And, I mean, we talk about we spread this into, like, some basketball. I've heard that, you know, the basketball team, but there's only so many guys in the basketball team. What is there, 10 guys, 15 uh, guys? Something? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot fewer. You know, the so one thing I will say, though, Jeff, and I, I think we had heard about this about a month or so ago, and it seems to have lost a lot of steam, the thought of having pod states where all the teams yeah, would yeah. congregate and try to play games in one particular state. Now, they're still talking about that possibly happening in the NBA. There was talk about that in Major League Baseball. That seems to be whittling away. And I haven't heard any talk about that involving the NFL now for a while. Yeah, it's just too logistically uh, hard to do. Too many people. Um, 
Yeah, there's just too many. I mean, listen, if you have a, a, a roster that consists of 10 people, 11, 12 guys, I mean, it might, even then it's still, but, you know, I've heard baseball, but, you know, is it fair to the people that have families that maybe their wives are pregnant or, you know, they have families that they, you know, you can't just all of a sudden take these players and put them in a vacuum and say, here, you know, go play and don't worry about anything else. It doesn't work that way. So it's just patience. It's going to be, it's going to be different. But listen, just have patience and just understand that, you know, there's people that are dying of this stuff and, you know, you got to be careful. And I think that none of us want to be able to uh, go. I mean, none of us want to go and infect people because we just did it prematurely being able to open up some of these things. And I know it's frustrating and people have rights. We know that. But the fact is that if you work for an organization like the NFL or the New York Giants, you just sit there and you got to do what you got to do. All right, one more time, folks. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's hashtag Giants Chat. You can hit him up at Jay Fiegels on Twitter or me at Giants WFAN. Jeff, it's been another fun hour, and uh, appreciate you sitting in with us, and we'll do it again very soon. Absolutely, and uh, once again, everybody stay safe out there and uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll catch you next time.